Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day with the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading today from Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented it out to some tenant farmers and went on a journey. When it was time, he sent a servant to the tenants to receive his share of the vineyard's produce. They took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant to them, but they hit him on the head and treated him shamefully. Then he sent another servant, but they killed that one. He also sent many others, some they beat, and others they killed. He still had one left, a dearly loved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said to one another, This is the heir, come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. So what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenant farmers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. They were looking for a way to arrest him, because they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. But they feared the crowd, so they left him and went away. The Jewish leaders sent some Pharisees and some Herodians to Jesus to try to trap him in what he said. They came and said to him, Teacher, We know that you are honest, and do not play favorites, since you are not partial to anyone, but you teach the way of God on the basis of the truth. Is it lawful to pay a tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or not? Since Jesus knew their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why do you keep testing me? Bring me a denarius, so that I can look at it. So they brought him one. He said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? Caesar's, they answered him. Then Jesus told them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Next came some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection. And they came to him. They asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us, If a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife but no child, then his brother should take his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one took a wife and died without leaving children. The second one married her and died, leaving no children. The third one did the same. The seven left no children. Last of all, the woman also died. So when they rise in the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since all seven had her as a wife? Jesus said to them, Isn't this the reason that you are mistaken, that you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? In fact, when people rise from the dead, they do not marry, and they are not given in marriage, but they are like the angels in heaven. But about the dead, that they are raised. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God told him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. One of the experts in the law approached after he heard their discussion. When he saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked Jesus, Which commandment is the greatest of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The expert in the law said to him, Well said, teacher. 
You have spoken correctly on the basis of the truth that he is one, and there is no other besides him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he responded by saying, How is it that the experts in the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit under my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. He also said to them in his teaching, Beware of the experts in the law who like to walk around in long robes and receive greetings in the marketplaces. They love the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and offer long prayers to look good. These men will receive greater condemnation. Jesus sat down opposite the offering box and was watching how the crowd put money into it. Many rich people put in large amounts. One poor widow came and put in two small bronze coins, worth less than a penny. He called his disciples together and said to them, Amen, I tell you, this poor widow put more into the offering box than all the others, for they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. This is the word of our God. Here in chapter 12, Jesus continues to confront Jerusalem, and especially leaders in Jerusalem, with his claims as Messiah, and he confronts them on the basis of the Word of God. He begins today with a parable, a parable that is a call to repentance. It is a sharp parable, as as most parables are. I mean, one of the things that we have to understand and remember about parables is, um, I mean, first of all, what is a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, um, where Jesus takes uses some earthly so- story to illustrate a specific spiritual point. But also, secondly, the vast majority of parables have a pointed um, law application. That is to say that Jesus is calling someone to repentance or exposing the sin of somebody. And often when we read the parable, that parable is us too. That application applies to us as well as Jesus exposes our sin. Now, there are parables where we, we draw out a um, a specific gospel point. You know, you might think of the parable of the prodigal son or the three, the set of three parables in Luke chapter 15, but those aren't the, the most common applications. The most common applications are law parables. And Luke chapter 15, I think is a really good example because you've got the parable of the hundred sheep and the, the shepherd loses one and he goes and finds it. The parable of the 10 coins and the woman loses one and goes and finds it. The parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, and he returns home. But that parable of the prodigal son, Jesus is really preaching against the Pharisees because they do not have the same joy over repentance um, and the repentance return of the unbeliever as they should as God the Father does. Anyway, um, so in today's parable, Jesus talks about this vineyard, which is the, the kingdom of God, the church of God, um, specifically visibly located there at Jerusalem. And God had sent prophet after prophet 
And now this final call to repentance when the vineyard owner sends his son saying, they will respect my son. And these tenants in their foolishness, they recognize, they don't realize rather, that um, that the vineyard doesn't belong to them and that by killing the son, they aren't accomplishing anything. All they're doing is putting themselves under greater wrath and greater judgment. And Jesus says, this happens in fulfillment of the prophecy the stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And God is going to give that vineyard to others, that the waters of the gospel are going to be going to other nations to refresh other nations rather than those who had rejected Jesus. And that's kind of the opening salvo in this in this chapter. And it kind of continues with this beautiful, I mean, beautiful set of three questions that different groups pose to Jesus. And I call it beautiful, not because their questions are so wonderful, because they're they're kind of arrogant and um and I think I tried to reflect that, especially in verse verse 14. Teacher, we know that you are honest, and and they try to trap him by bringing along these people where Jesus is painted into a corner. If he answers that it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then the Pharisees say, look, we've got him. He is He's in favor of, of giving our tax money to a man who claims to be God. And if they and if Jesus says it is not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then the Herodians can say we've got him. He is promoting, um, he is promoting insurrection. He's saying that we shouldn't pay our taxes. And Jesus just answers beautifully in that that question. The second question, the Sadducees. I like the explanatory note that Mark includes there, who say there is no resurrection, who say that there will be no resurrection. The point, the question here isn't about marriage, even though it's clothed as a question about marriage. The question is really a question of the resurrection. And so the Sadducees, um, they are they are the you know cultural elite is what we might call them today. They let their reason really drive the boat when it comes to their faith. They reject everything that is supernatural, everything that doesn't make sense, everything that can't be proven by science. And they only hold to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch or the, the five books of Moses. And so they say this resurrection doesn't make sense because it sounds preposterous. It sounds supernatural and I can't accept it because my mind is too scientific for that kind of foolishness. And Jesus cuts to the chase, and he answers them. He doesn't answer them on the basis of, you know, Psalm, any of the Psalms that talk about the resurrection. He answers on the basis of Moses at the burning bush from that Pentateuch, from the first five books of Moses, um, that is from the book of Exodus, when God says, you know, this is 600 years, 500 years after Abraham had died, God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not, I was the God, or I was God for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but that God is. (laughs) That even now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were worshiping him in heaven as their God. Um, And then finally, the question of of what is the greatest commandment, and Jesus answers properly, and the young man, uh, Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He is not far from the kingdom of God, that the gospel truth of Jesus fulfilling the law for us would be would be played out in reality in real time over the next couple of days. And all this man needed to see was that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the law. That is not about the law and what we do. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And so he kind of concludes the chapter with that word of warning. Beware the experts in the law who love to walk around in long robes and receive greetings in the marketplaces. 
and devour widows' houses and offer long prayers to look good. That is set in sharp contrast to the woman who brings her offering that day to the temple. All she has is a couple of small coins, uh, small copper bronze coins. And Jesus says she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all that she had to live on, as a demonstration for her faith. Because the amount doesn't matter. Especially the amount doesn't matter if the heart isn't in the right place. And so as we wrap up today, the question for us, as Jesus confronts sin among the leaders and among the people here in Jerusalem, which one resonates most with you? Is it the confrontation with the Sadducees to make sure that our human reason bows its head before the word of God and shuts its mouth before the word of God? Perhaps it's the confrontation at the end, the illustration of the woman bringing her small offering and those bringing larger offerings. Um, And perhaps in your own heart, you do look to wealth as a source of comfort and security and peace and well-being. Maybe not. Or maybe maybe the converse is true, that within your own heart, you would think to yourself, well, I would be more comfortable if I did have a little bit more, and I wouldn't have to worry about these things. But but my, my lack of wealth is a source of pride and piety in and of itself. Or maybe you find yourself um, more similar to the Pharisees who like to keep up appearances no matter what, who like to put on a good show and make sure that we say all the right words and all the right things when we are out among people and around church people. But then when we get home and when we have private time in the, in the quiet of our own home or even with our own you know, cell phones and on social media or whatever the case may be, um, then it's a different story. Dear friend, this Jesus is for you. This Jesus came to call each of us to repentance, to point to himself as the one who is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, who came to carry our sin, to set you free, to make you his own. He came for you and for me. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Raise with Jesus podcast. If you have a moment to share with a friend, please hit that share button, whether on social media or in your podcast app. And if you have any questions, concerns, comments, or topics that you'd like us to discuss here at the podcast, check out the show notes for all of our contact information. Thanks so much for joining us. God bless your day.